Hey guys, Jay Lee here, and welcome to the One Life City Church podcast. Now, we've got something a little bit different for you guys here today. Uh, Unfortunately, we weren't able to do an interview for you guys this week, just with the 4th of July holiday, people traveling, as well as some people being ill. And so we just weren't able to do an interview this week. But we didn't want to leave you guys hanging. And so today I'm going to share with you guys a short talk that I did about English translations of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever felt kind of confused by how many different English translations of the Bible there are. Or maybe you've had questions about like, can I really have confidence that the Bible that I'm reading today is really truly the same as the text in the original Hebrew and Greek? And so if that sounds like you, then this short talk is really for you. And then at the end of it, I share some very practical tips about how we can use the different English translations to really help and enhance our own personal Bible study. And so I hope that this talk will be useful to you, that it will encourage you in your Bible study as you press into the spiritual discipline of studying the scriptures. And next week, we'll be back with another interview with a member from the church talking through one of the passages for the week. All right, guys, so this is Teach Me How to Study Volume 1, and we are talking about English translations of the Bible. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience, especially maybe when you first became a believer, when you didn't really know much about the Bible at all. But have you ever gone to like a Christian bookstore and then you look at the racks of Bibles and you see that there's so many different translations, English translations of the Bible? And I don't know if you felt this way, but I think for a lot of people, when they see that, it's kind of a shock. Like, why is there so many different versions of the Bible? Like, isn't there just one Bible? Doesn't it just say one thing? So why do we have like a million different English translations of the Bible? And and maybe worse, I think for a lot of people, they perceive this ever-expanding number of English translations of the Bible to be a sign that we don't know what the Bible says because, look, look at how many different English translations alone there are. So we must not be very sure of what this Bible says. And so that's what I want to talk about today. You know, English translations. Why do we have so many of them? And then more practically, How do we use these English translations to help us study the Bible more effectively? And so I think the first thing that we need to understand, if you didn't know this already, is that the original language of the biblical texts is not English. So the Old Testament books, which were written before Jesus, were written in Hebrew. And the New Testament books are written in Greek. And so immediately for us to be able to read the biblical texts, They need to be translated into English. And so that's why we have English translations to begin with. And and the thing about translation, for anybody who speaks more than one language, right? So if you speak more than just English, then you kind of understand this. But when you're translating from one language to another, there is always some room for interpretation. Or maybe even a better word is there's room for stylistic differences, Because a lot of times when you're going from one language to another, there are some nuanced differences. So, for example, for me, I'm Korean-American, so I do speak some Korean. My my Korean is atrocious. It's an embarrassment to my family. But, you know, I do speak some Korean, right? And so, let's say, I could say in Korean, 나는 너무 배고파요. 
which if anybody is Korean and you're listening to this, I know you died a little bit inside just now listening to me speak Korean. I know that your ears are probably bleeding, but you know, so if I were to say 나는 너무 배고파요, right? Now, if I wanted to translate that into English, I could say, oh, well, that means I'm very hungry. But actually, if I wanted to be really literal, it would really be saying I'm too hungry. Or I could just say, well, actually, a better translation is I'm famished or I'm so hungry I could eat a cow, right? Like I could translate that sentence in a number of different ways. And really, they're all correct, right? They're, they're, none of those translations that I just gave you is wrong. But I'm just taking sort of a different approach to translating that original Korean because it is nuanced, right? If I want it to be really word for word, then it's like I'm too hungry, it's like, eh, that doesn't really translate super well into English. I'm too hungry. So maybe a better translation is I'm very hungry. Or, you know, maybe if I wanted to put it into the vernacular, I'm super hungry. Or I'm famished. Right? That, that maybe I think that conveys better what I'm trying to say in Korean. And so that really gives you an understanding of why there are so many different English translations. It's not like we have 20 different versions of the Bible, right? That as long as the translation is a good translation done by faithful scholars who are translating from the original Hebrew and the original Greek, and they're looking at, you know, the best manuscripts that we have available to us, by and large, they're all saying basically the same thing, but they might be using a little bit different style and a little bit different nuance to try to convey what they think is the best representation of what that original Greek or Hebrew was trying to communicate. And so there's room for stylistic differences and different word choices and different word orders, but they're not saying different things. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, yeah, but you know, how do I know that I can rely on this translation that I'm reading? Right? Like, how do I know that these scholars have done a good job or that they didn't try to change it to suit their own particular view or particular interests? How can I truly have confidence that the English translation that I'm reading truly represents the original text of Scripture? And so for those of you guys who might have that question, I want to try to reassure you. This is something that I kind of talked about in a recent episode as well in my A Christian and an Atheist, Volume 1. And I did talk about this a little bit. But I want you to understand, if, if you're not fully aware of this, but that the texts of the Bible are the most scrutinized and most meticulously studied, cataloged, documented, debated books ever. Like, there's no other documents in all of history that have been more studied and more meticulously, painstakingly studied and dissected and pulled apart from not just believers, but, you know, Old Testament and New Testament scholars run the gamut, right? There, there are plenty of people who are not believers, who have no commitment of faith, who have no interest or no bias towards trying to, you know, make the Bible more credible than it is. So you have believing and non-believing scholars thousands the world over, and who knows however many tens of thousands if you go back in the history of scholarship, who have all been looking at these same texts and these same manuscripts, painstakingly looking at the minutiae, I mean, literally the minutiae, like down to the individual letters of these texts, 
one, trying to establish, do we have the original text? And then number two, what is the best way to translate these texts into English or into some other language? And so I'm not saying that there is always 100% agreement in what the best way to translate a you know, specific verse is. You know, sometimes there are differences. Sometimes there are different nuances. But what I am trying to tell you is that we can have every confidence that there are no secrets or no conspiracies. There's no, you know, there, there's nobody who's making a translation and secretly sneaking stuff in that, that the rest of the scholarly world doesn't already know about and hasn't already nitpicked to death. And so if you're using one of these mainstream English translations that we all use in our churches, like NIV, ESV, NASB, RSV, and all these other letters, right, that you have, NLT even, you can be sure that there's no secret agenda that has somehow been snuck into that translation. You have a very credible representation of the original text. And anywhere in the text where there's some significant issue with the translation or with the manuscripts, most Bibles, even like a cheap Bible that you might buy, like most Bibles will surface that information for you in the margins or in the footnotes. I don't know if you ever stop to read them, but when you're reading the Bible, if you, if you see a note, you know, it might say, hey, this word could also be translated something else, or hey, some manuscripts don't have this line, things like that. And then even more so, if you have like a study Bible, they really probably will surface for you any issues that are present in the translation of the text. And so all that to say, I think we can have great confidence that if we're using one of these mainstream English translations, we can be confident that the highest level of scholarship has gone into them, that they are a good representation of what the original Hebrew and Greek texts intended to say. And there's no secret agenda that somehow has snuck past these publishers that some, you know, group of scholars got in there. Like, there's too many eyeballs on this text, and there's too much history of research on the biblical text and the original languages. There's no surprises that are popping up. So rest assured. And so let's spend a moment here talking about philosophy of translation. Right. And kind of going back to my example with Korean, that I can translate that Korean statement in multiple different ways. And they're all basically right. But it kind of comes down to a philosophy of translation. And so here here are the three main philosophies that scholars use when they're translating the Bible into English or into any other language. The first philosophy is word for word. And so basically the the principle here is that, okay, we want to represent the biblical text as close to the original languages as we possibly can in English. And so wherever possible, we're going to try to translate it word for word of what we see in the original text. And so one of the common translations that we use today, that would be what I'd call a word for word translation, is the NASB, New American Standard Bible. And so with this philosophy, as much as possible, the translators are trying to preserve the original words that are in the original language and also the original word order, if possible. And so obviously the strength of that is that you can have confidence that what you're seeing is as close as possible to the original text, words and word order. Of course, the weakness of this is that sometimes when you're translating from one language to another, 
that if you translate it literally word for word, it might kind of lose its meaning in translation. Like one classic example of this is in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, the word that they used to describe sort of the seat of human emotions is actually the bowels, right? Whereas, you know, in in English, it's the heart, right? We see the heart as being the seat of human emotions. But actually, in the Hebrew scriptures, it's the bowels, the intestines, the internal organs. And so, so for example, in Psalm 40, verse 8, you know, in our in our English translations, it probably reads something like this. I delight to do your will, O my God. Yes, your law is within my heart. But if we were going to take a word-for-word philosophy of translating that verse, actually it should read, I delight to do your will, O my God. Yes, your law is within my bowels. Or, yes, your law is within my intestines. Which... I mean, I guess we could still kind of get the meaning of that, but it loses a little something in translation, right? And so a lot of translators would then supply the word heart instead of bowels or intestines because, you know, it still needs to make sense to the English reader. And so that would be probably the weakness of a word-for-word philosophy is that there's just some things that uh, don't make as much sense, like idioms and, and figures of speech that just don't make as much sense in another language if you translate them literally. And so that is why you have some translations who take on the philosophy of thought for thought. So not word for word, but thought for thought. That maybe it's actually a better way to translate if we try to translate the thoughts that are being conveyed. That in fact, any place where a word for word translation obscures the meaning of the text, we definitely want to make sure we're translating thought for thought. And so that might mean, you know, changing word orders, supplying words that are not in the original text, but need to be in the translation for them to make sense or smoothing out some of these idioms so that they make sense in another language and in another culture. And so some of the common translations that we might think of as more of kind of closer to a thought for thought rather than a rigid word for word would be like the NIV, the New International Version, which is still faithful and good translation, but more over towards thought for thought than word for word. They want it to be readable and understandable as much as possible. Whereas maybe the NASB, sometimes they will even sacrifice readability or understandability to preserve the word for word as much as they could. Now, the ESV, the English Standard Version, a lot of people kind of think of it as being sort of in between word for word and thought for thought, that it's kind of in the middle between the NASB and the NIV. Now, the third translation philosophy, which is not really as common, but maybe becoming more common over time, is what we would call basically just a paraphrase. That There are some translations that I would consider to be a very, very loose thought for thought translation. And it's and it's so loose that you have to start saying that it's not really directly a translation anymore, but more of a paraphrasing of the biblical text. And so a, a very good example of this would be uh, The Message by Eugene Peterson. It is a representation of the original Hebrew and Greek text, 
but it is very, very loose in terms of being a thought-for-thought translation. There's a lot of extra things being supplied into that translation that its main goal is not necessarily to like preserve the original text per se, but to enhance the understandability and the meaning of the text for the reader as much as possible. And so there's a lot of liberties that are taken in the message and in a translation like it. Now, another translation that is pretty common is the NLT, the New Living Translation. And a lot of people would see that as being sort of in between thought for thought and a paraphrase. And so now that I've kind of gotten that sort of technical information out of the way, let's get really practical. Like, how can we use the different English translations to enhance our study of the Bible? And so... I think the first thing that we need to understand is just how amazing technology and the internet is. That before, you probably would only have one translation of the Bible, right? Like you, you buy a Bible and you probably don't have like four or five different Bibles. Maybe, maybe over a lifetime you would acquire more Bibles. But most people, for the most part, would have like one Bible, maybe two. And so you would kind of pick your translation and you would stick to it. But now with the internet and with these Bible apps on our phones, we have access basically to every English translation there is just at our fingertips. And so I think it would be good for us to try to take advantage of that. And so the first thing I would say is that you should consider reading the Bible online or through an app sometimes. If you're still reading from a physical Bible, I love that. (laughs) I wish more people would actually read from a physical Bible and And I still like feeling the pages and writing some notes in the margin or something like that. So I'm not trying to talk you out of reading from your physical Bible, but I think so that we can utilize these tools. I think sometimes we should be referring to the Bible through, you know, the YouVersion Bible app that everybody uses or um, something like BibleGateway.com so that we can refer to different translations when we want to. And so this is the kind of thing that I would do sometimes is that sometimes maybe when I'm reading a passage, and the main English translation that I usually start with is the NIV, which is kind of in the middle, right? It's not exactly word for word. It's definitely not a paraphrase. So it's right in the middle of thought for thought. And so I use the NIV because I think it's easy to understand. It's probably one of the most, if not the most popular translations used in churches. So when I preach, I use the NIV. And so I usually start with the NIV. But as I'm studying a passage, if I come to a sentence or a paragraph or even a word that I'm kind of curious about, or I'm having a little bit of difficulty really understanding it, or maybe there's just a passage and I'm kind of having a hard time understanding the flow of thought in that passage, a lot of times what I'll do is then go to another English translation. And so usually what I do, depending on what I'm trying to do, like let's say I'm reading something and I'm I'm like, hmm, is this really what the original text says or am I losing something in translation? So maybe then I want to kind of get a little bit more of a word for word view into the text. And so then I might go ahead and switch over to the NASB, right? Or maybe even the ESV to take, you know, one step towards more of a word for word. So I'll usually go to the ESV or if I really want to like look at like what are the actual words that were in this original text Maybe I'll go to the NASB and read it there and see, okay, do I get any other nuance of meaning from this? Or sometimes I'm reading a text and I'm just like, man, this is really hard to understand. Like, I don't get what this text is even trying to say. In those cases, I might go the other way and I might pull open the New Living Translation or even the message 
Because those texts, because they're a little bit more towards a paraphrase, to me are like having somebody explain to me what they think the text means. And so it can be really helpful when I'm having trouble really understanding what I'm reading. Read the NLT or the message, and it's almost like you have Eugene Peterson basically telling you, here's what I think the text means. And so I think these are just very practical ways you can use these different English translations and the different philosophies they use to translate them to your advantage to help you understand the Bible more. Another translation I want to mention that I feel like is not too commonly known by a lot of Christians is the NET, the New English Translation. So a bunch of pretty high-level scholars got together to create this translation, and they've made it completely available for free. And so, uh, yeah, if you have like the YouVersion Bible app, it's on there, and I believe it's probably available on any other Bible app you might be using or BibleGateway.com. It is a word-for-word translation, but the, the cool thing about it is they wanted to make the original text of the Bible, the Greek and the Hebrew, as available and accessible to the average reader as possible. And so what they have done is that they have put notes about the translation and the decisions they've made all over this thing, right? Like, you know how sometimes when you're reading a verse and there's like a little like footnote mark there and you can click on it and it gives you more information. There's like a million of those footnotes in this text. I'm, I'm not joking. Like if you read one verse, there's probably three footnotes in every verse of that translation, which can be a little cumbersome. But if you really, really, really want to know, like, I really want to know what the original text says, and I want to know why they translated certain things the way that they did or any issues that there are in deciding how to translate something, this translation serves up way, way more information than you could ever possibly dream of. And so, you know, if you're that type of person, I highly encourage you guys to check out the NET version because I don't think a lot of people know about it. And so check it out. The last practical tip I want to give you guys is that another way that you can use the different translations to enhance your study is, you know, for those of you guys who do like a daily devotional or maybe you do like a Bible reading plan every year. So maybe you're one of these people who reads the Bible every year or something like that. Another thing that you could do is, okay, this year you read the Bible through in NIV. How about next year when you read through the Bible again, read it with the NASB or next year, read it with the ESV or next year, read it with the NLT or God forbid the message. (laughs) Sorry, I, I say that jokingly because I am aware that there are some people out there who feel like the message is like a, uh, sacrilegious corrupting of the Bible. So I, I, I say that with a little tongue in cheek, but that's something that you guys could definitely do as well to you know, read it in a different version next year or from time to time and see how it maybe colors certain passages that you're familiar with that you've read many times. See if it gives any new color or new insights into some of those things. And so those are my tips for you guys. I hope that some of this was helpful. I hope that some of this might enhance your understanding of the Bible. And so I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Take care. Thanks for joining us. This is a podcast of One Life City Church in Fullerton, California. If you would like to connect with us, visit our website at onelifecitychurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram.